Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Home Builders. Glad you're here today. All right, the Ten Commandments. We're back into the series. We finished the series, um, and we now are going back to the series that we were in. I, I just didn't feel that when COVID took place to continue dealing with the Ten Commandments, uh, but I felt the obligation to come back and restart these back up again. And I, I hope that it's a reminder to all of us that God is holy, okay? He wants no other gods before him. You see these 10 commandments that God has set up for us. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make unto thee any graven images. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, making his name meaningless or worthless. You just say it um, in, in triteness. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not kill. And today we're up to thou shalt not commit adultery. That's exciting after COVID-19. So understand as parents, uh, you know, of children, I will be addressing issues today. So if you don't feel comfortable with them hearing about this topic, feel free to slip out or have them, you know, get a book or something. I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, I'm not going to go into that kind of detail, but you understand the terminology. Praise the Lord. Exodus 20, verse 14. Let's say this together. You shall not commit adultery. Now, it wasn't all of us, but close to it. And so I'll just do this. I think probably maybe my battery died in it, so that's no big deal. Marriage is between a man and a woman. Okay? These are some, what is the biblical view of marriage? I want to make it clear. Um, I don't think that the church has to capitulate to the culture, that we don't have to change what God's word has said about it. So Genesis 1, 27 and 28 says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And I just wanna say, this, this is a side note here. When you see this passage of scripture, I want to remind us that God first called his children whom he created to be environmentalists. Now that's something you don't typically hear in a Baptist church, at least not too often, okay? But I want it to be understood. We have responsibility, and I, I'm just saying, um, the idea that this earth you know, well, it's not ours, it's gonna burn up eventually so we can do whatever we want with it, is a wrong attitude. God called men and women to take care of the earth, to provide for the animals. I, that doesn't mean that we go to the extremes, that some of our um, uh, friends in California and other places, you know, wanna to go to the extreme of, you know, following these kind of standards, uh, but, you know, that obviously God created us in our image. He didn't create animals in his image. And he said, remember the sparrow? You're worth more than sparrows. Okay, so God values humanity greater than the animal kingdom and plant life, okay? We're the only ones created in his image, but he created us as man and woman to take care of this earth and to provide for it. And we do that collectively. And I think that we do that ultimately some ways through marriage as husband and wife. Haven't you read, he replied, Matthew 19, 4 and 5 says, 
that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That's God's design. One man for one woman for a lifetime. And that's what God has declared for all of us to take, not only take into consideration, but to value and champion. Okay? In other words, we're going to be in a culture that doesn't necessarily agree with that. And I don't think we have the responsibility or the right as followers of Christ to go, well, yeah, I kind of agree with you, but I, I go to church, so I have to agree with them over there. And I, I agree with this over here. No. God has called us to holiness in everything that we do. Marriage involves a sexual union. Now, for the matters you wrote about, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Okay? In other words, Paul's saying, you know what? Here's, here's the context here. As soon as you get involved in a relationship, you're not going to be able to focus on the Lord like you did when you're single. And singleness is a gift that God provides some people. And he provides them and says, you know what? I want you to focus on this area. I've called you to singleness, and that's, a, and that's what I want you to do. Because when you get married, your prioritization has all changed. You've got to take care of uh, your spouse. You've got to take care of, 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 of taking care of this family unit that you've created. God created it that way. So he's created some people to be single. Now, I know, don't know many young people today that go, God has called me to be single. Now, a lot of them are saying, I don't necessarily want to get married. But singleness involves a choice to not be sexually active. In other words, God has called you, called you to purity in everything that you do. Okay? But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Now, that does not mean that abuse can take place even in a, in a marriage relationship. It's never intended to be like that. It's always to be in a loving relationship, caring for one another, supporting one another, helping one another, admonishing one another, building each other up. But what he's saying here is, is that our bodies are not our own. That when we get married, they're for each other. And we have an obligation to meet that. And in the culture that we live in today, we have an obligation. Wives and men have an obligation to make sure that they're allowing their spouse to have those needs met. Because otherwise, Satan can come in and tempt them. And then we get, we get angry and upset because they're using another means, whether it's adultery or pornography or something else, to satisfy that need that God never intended. So we are obligated to each other to meet that need. Now, that need changes over time. Some of you are at the stage of your life where you're going, been there, done that, done. Okay? Maybe not. That's, that's between the two of you. The issue isn't sexual relations per se. It's intimacy. Okay? That you are intimate with each other and only with each other. Whatever that looks like. And marriage is a covenant before God. Malachi 2, 13 to 15. Can someone read that for me?
So she's your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Because not one God made you. You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. This is a huge understanding here. Very important. That your marriage is not just some legal contract that you get into. It is a covenant with God. The way I like to describe this is that, is, and I've used this in class before, but I, I will repeat it for important sake, uh, I think, because it helps to give it a perspective. Imagine, if you would, uh, we know from the scriptures that Noah was found, found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And Noah and his family were protected from the flood. After the flood, what was God's promise to Noah? He'll never again destroy the earth with water. Now imagine if you would, the Weather Channel, your favorite app, starts showing some cataclysmic event that begins to rain and typhoons and hurricanes and storms all across our world and the entire earth is flooded and destroyed and you drown and die. Would you have a problem with that? No, I haven't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now imagine, let's say you, you're there, but you're confused. Was the scripture wrong? Did, was this not accurate? And you go up to God. You go up to Jesus and say, Jesus, can I ask a question? He goes, go, up, go for it. Um, well, I have a question. The Bible, was the Bible true that you said you were never going to destroy the earth again by water? But you did. And Jesus looks at you and says, dare you question me? I changed my mind. But that would be a lie. I don't like your attitude. Go to hell. And you end up in hell. Would that bother you? Absolutely. Why? Because the Bible calls it a Noahic covenant. It's a covenant with God and man. Now think about this. Imagine God doing that. You'd be upset. You'd be frustrated. You'd be like, I don't get this. This doesn't make sense. God does the same thing when we don't make sense to him. You have a covenant with that woman. It's yours for life. It doesn't give you the right to kill her or him. But that's your covenant. And that's what it is. It is a it is a permanent agreement, okay, that's for life. And that's how it should be viewed. God is the one who joins a couple together, and it's not just a legal contract. Matthew 19, 6. Someone read that for me. Okay. So what therefore God has joined together. In other words, when you went, you can, my brother told me after the fact, it was no big deal, it's perfectly fine. Um, he, was, he was being a good business thinker. Um, he was getting married. Uh, would you, Cheryl, you have a better memory. When did they get married? Well, in, in January. In January. But that was when their church ceremony was gonna be. But he was not about to get married in January and lose a year's worth of taxes. 
So they went to the Justice of the Peace in December, I believe, and got married legally and waited then till their marriage, but then that way they could claim each other on taxes and do it. <laughs> Hilarious. So they go to the Justice of the Peace, get that done. But let me tell you something. It doesn't matter whether it was in a church or at the Justice of the Peace or on a ship. It doesn't matter whether it's at the beach or at, a, at an event in a barn. It doesn't matter where your wedding takes place. It's not just a legal contract that we have. It is a agreement that God does in our life. What therefore God has joined together, let no one separate. It's something that God does, whether invited or not. Marriage was created by God even before the fall. That is why a man in Genesis 2 says, leaves his father and mother and unite, is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. God created this before the fall of mankind. So it's not a result of the fall that we have marriage and all the things that went with it. No, God did this before the fall. This was God's design from the very beginning. So what are the biblical teachings and implications of this command? This command specifically speaks against having sex with someone other than one spouse. It's from the Greek word moikia, okay? It's different from the Greek word pornea. Now, I don't mean to get into theology, but um, one of the things that people often will use as an argument for marriage is the act of adultery. I have a right because in Matthew, uh, it says that you know, except for adultery, okay? But the Greek word there, and I'm not trying to just, I'm not trying to change our theology here. But the interesting thing though that I see about this is that God doesn't use the word moikia in the issue of divorce. He only uses the word pornea. Now moikia can be in pornea though, okay? It can be a part of it, in other words, uh, Adultery between a man and a woman. Pornia is an overarching for all sexual sin. So the issue is, is that God designed marriage to be for a lifetime. And that reconciliation should always be the plan. Okay, there are at times, and I will never be a legalist regarding this. There are times when divorce and remarriage are necessary for a number of different reasons. And I think biblically so. Okay. However, the desire of my heart, of the Lord's heart, is for your marriage to last a lifetime, okay? And God has is, is designed it that. It's used in Matthew 5, 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit moikia, adultery, okay? And he goes on to say, but then I say it to you, and we'll get into that as well. The command specifically speaks, again, it refers to those who are sexually immoral, Hebrews 13.4. Someone read that for me. So God's calling us here to be moral in our lives and be moral in our marriages and to not take that for granted. It is a sin against God, okay? It's not just a cultural thing. It's a sin against God. Psalm 51, 4, David, after his sin with Bathsheba, is now in a song communicating to the father his shamefulness. 
And he, and he talks about the fact that in here that he says, you know, my sin is ever before me. It's something I think about all the time. It's consuming me. And let me say, just stop right there. I hope that at one point in your life, your sin was overwhelming to you. But praise God for his grace. That thing that you worry about and are, are just seem weighted down is released by the grace of God when you ask for forgiveness and come into a right relationship with him. You have been freed from that. And it's amazing, okay, that God would do that for us. Against you, he says, you only have I sinned. Now, that doesn't mean, um, I don't, I think his, his initial idea here is this. God, you I have sinned against. According to my position as king, I've done what's legal in this land. I'm allowed to take a wife whom I want. I can order a man to be killed. And it'll happen. Now, did he sin against Bathsheba and her father? Absolutely. But he recognized in his authority, I have the right to do this. I have, but I have sinned. And I have sinned against you. And this is wrong. And I have done the wrong thing here. And he repents before God. He says, I have sinned and done what was evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. You do what you need to do with me. Now that is different. You know, and God is sovereign. Now, uh, I, I know, uh, how many, well, you don't have to say this. <laughs> this may not be one of those things you want to raise your hand to. <laughs> but um, have you ever done what they call a foxhole prayer request? God, if you'll get me out of this situation, I'll always do this for you. If you've ever done that, I think I've done that. Um, do you, you recognize the fact that it doesn't always stick once everything gets back to normal, whatever that is? God wants us to be holy and pure in everything we do. But, but you know what? God recognizes the heart. Of, man looks on the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. Even in his sovereignty, when he knows you're not going to keep it. Now, how do I know that's true? Hezekiah, I'm reading him right now. Many of you who are going through the one-year Bible or reading through 2 Chronicles. And I'm in 2 Chronicles, right? I'm just about ready to go into Ezra. And in, in 2 Chronicles, Hezekiah has, has serves the Lord faithfully. But then God blesses him. He's getting rich. He is getting satisfied. He's getting power. People are coming to him and lavishing him with gifts. Not just for the children of Israel, but for him personally. And he's making out, man, God is blessing. I'm getting rich. This is awesome. And all of a sudden, he gets cocky and arrogant. And God uh, says, Hezekiah, you're going to die. What does he do? Does anybody remember? He cries out to God and repents. I'm sorry. And God says, all right, go back and tell him. The prophet goes back to Hezekiah, and he said, all right, God's going to give you 15 more years. And what does he do? He finds out he's got 15 more years. It's like, cha-ching. And then he goes back out and starts doing the same evil things all over again. What? But don't I do the same thing at times? Yeah. But God has called us to holiness and purity. And even though God knew he was going to do this, and then he goes back, and what's, what's 
I have to be honest, it ticks me off every time I read it. So God's word does tick you off at times. It does me at least. The prophet goes back to him and says, okay, because you did this, it's not going to happen to you, but it's going to happen to your son. And he's like, cool, as long as it's not going to happen to me, I'm happy. I don't think I want destruction to come on my children. He was content with that. Are you kidding? Think about that, but in our own lives, when God, when you're worried about something, about your own sin, and God brings you out of it, and you're like, woohoo, do we go back into it again? This command talks about, it's, it's a sin against oneself which brings destruction. Okay, sexual sin is a destruction against ourselves and our own body. Proverbs 6.32, someone read that for me. Whoever does so destroys himself. Now, some people go, well, that's a proverb. It's just a wise saying. It's a pretty good deal. Um, but, you know, is it really going to happen? Go back to Romans 1. Well, yeah, but they're talking about that kind of sin that I don't have. Well, sin, sexual sin of all kinds is brought into that idea. And he says it, it's a destruction against your own body. If you go back to Romans 1, you'll see it very clearly. It's not just an Old Testament proverb, right? Jesus explained the command to address the heart and the issue of lust. Matthew 5, 27, 28. Would someone read that passage for me? Now, I know the Bible sometimes viewed as a patriarchal issue, but men tend to be more visual. And so this is where a man's issue can come in. Now, that does not mean that women don't lust, okay? And so I want to make that very clear. Um, but I, I think within the context of the culture, it was more of what they were familiar with and understood. But what is lust? Um, it's a strong craving or desire, often of a sexual nature. It's desiring something that cannot be biblically fulfilled. And I, that last phrase there, to give credit to where credit is due, came from Billy Graham. Because uh, back in the day, he was, he was being interviewed um, on television by Larry King. And some of you who are a little bit older remember Larry King. And Larry King was in he goes, Billy, have you ever lusted? What is, yeah, what is lust? And, he, you know, and Billy said, uh, basically, lust is when you want something that can't be biblically fulfilled. And that's pretty good. And I think that's a good thing to all, for all of us to be remembered by. Paul uses the term for both homosexual and heterosexual sex in Romans 1, 26 and 27. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones in the same way men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with the lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. And there's things that are natural within the result of sin that destroys ourselves and our own bodies. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 and 5. Someone read that for me. It's a great verse.
there's a real important principle that I want to make sure everybody here understands. I shared this as an introduction recently, but I want to just kind of reiterate it here. What is, he, what is Paul saying here? Paul's saying to the church at Thessalonica that you should learn to control your own body. What he means by that is this. You can control your own body. As human beings, we're not animals. We don't have to do anything. We're not controlled by anything. Now, I will say this, and science brings it up. From Romans 127, we talked about it there from Proverbs as well, that it affects our body. And the, the scientists today confirms what the Bible says, that literally our brain changes when we begin to be, get involved with immorality of any type, our brain begins to actually desire things that satisfies that need. And I won't go into the science of it, but the bottom line is, is that, and I, I'll be honest with you, I prayed as even as a young man, Lord, change my brain. <laughs> I don't want to have these thoughts, but you know what? What's the old saying? Garbage in, garbage out. Garbage out. So it's your choice. Whatever you put in is going to be the desire that comes out. So put in holiness. Pull it, put in righteousness. Put in purity. Make those decisions to do that in such a way that will bring holiness into your life and blessing into your life. And not those things that control you from the outside that you ultimately feel like... The devil made me do it. I can't control this. I'm, you know, I'm addicted to it. I'm, I'm, you know, I, I don't have any decision in this any longer. It controls me. Okay. We know that exists. It's viewed as idolatry. Why? We're told to put to death our earthly desires. How do we do this? Colossians three five. Put to death therefore whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Go back to the Ten Commandments, right? That's what series we're going to. You shall not have any gods before me. You shall not make any graven image. We begin, what's worship? Giving worth to something, value to something that you want in your life that helps you that helps you meet your needs. If you look at the children of Israel, they went after pagan gods because they thought they would help them meet their needs. Well, why did this town get destroyed? Because they didn't worship the, the gods of the Assyrians. Take their gods and you'll be good. No. There's only one thing that we can do, and that is to put to death Whatever belongs to this earthly nature, put it to death because it's idolatry. It's giving worth to something that God has desired us not to have out of the context of marriage. God chose that. How do we put to death our earthly nature? Real quick, let's popcorn this. How do we put to death our earthly nature? I will set no evil thing before my eye. So you choose not to be exposed to it. As best as you can. Sure. Time at the word and in prayer, you kind of go, okay, what what's going on right now? Go ahead. So Galatians five sixteen is something that I don't 
Exactly. When you walk in the spirit, you won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. So if you focus on the first part, part learning how to walk in the flesh, or walk in the spirit, sorry. So you will learn how to walk in the spirit. That's what you focus on. So when you leave here today, is your focus on walking in the spirit? Or is it just getting to life as normal? Focus on walking in the spirit, trusting in the Lord, asking God to help you through all those situations. And when we sin, if you sin, you confess it. He's faithful just to forgive you. He'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness and you're back walking in the spirit again. But strive for that desire. Don't give in to it because let me tell you, uh, it's, it's, it can happen with anyone. Uh, and don't ever think that this couldn't happen to you. Quick story. I learned as a young man that you can't have any preconceived regarding this issue. I walked into a classroom as a young man desiring to go into ministry at Liberty, and I had a professor, a godly man, who said, if you're really serious about being a godly man, you see me after class. And he mentored us. In fact, he taught us a scripture that I will never forget, and I don't even forget everything that he said about it. He did this every single class period. John 10, 27 through 30 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no one shall pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. The scripture goes on to say that they took up stones to stone him. But before you're too hard on the Jews, remember this. Before you were saved, both your hands as well as mine were filled with stones. That's what he said every single class. He was a Messianic Jew, a follower of Christ. So I was mentored to for that semester, was sat under him. We went into the word of God together. It was amazing. I grew so much under his leadership. Next semester I came back and I went to go see him. He's not here. Where's, where is he? Um, I, he's no longer a professor here. At that time, Dr. Falwell had a office, the old time gospel hour over near Central Health, the Lynchburg General Hospital. And I went in, as I often did, and had to go see Doc for something. And I walked in, and there, and this was a balding, short, overweight man. Short. And I, he's pushing a trash can down the hallway. And as a young man, mentored by him spiritually, my jaw dropped. I asked him, what are you doing here? He said, I had an affair with one of my students, but they graciously allowed me to be a custodian over here. I was mortified. As a young follower of Christ, my professor who mentored me would do this. And God just taught me right away, it could happen to you. You better watch out. You better pray. You better choose right. Because it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter who you are. And that's why Cheryl and I are accountability partners. That's why I have an accountability partner. 
but by the grace of God go I or you and we have to be holy is adultery a forgivable sin yes Jesus forgave the woman caught in adultery John 8 1 through 11 at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery and they made her stand before a group and said to Jesus, how humiliating is this? They were, they're not even doing it the right way. But they want to check out, well, let's see what Jesus is going to say. Because remember, they're trying to trick Jesus into going and saying something that they could crucify him for. Okay? They made him stand before the group and Jesus said, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery in the law. Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? Are you going to speak out against Moses? They were using this question as a trap. Isn't it a shame that they used this woman? And let me tell you something. People who are evil will use anyone to get what they want accomplished, even if it hurts them in the process. You can see that going on in our country right now. They don't care about this country. They don't care about people. They care about an agenda. And that's what's happening. And by grace, the only thing is you got to look back to Jesus. And I didn't mean to say something political, Cheryl, so that everybody else, get everybody upset. And just, sorry. <laughs> but Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard him began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left. And the woman was still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I commend you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Go now and sin no more. That's what he calls all of us to. He knows that we're sinners. He's called us to holiness. Go and sin no more. Neither do I condemn. I don't condemn you because of your sin. Even though you were caught in the very act of adultery. Go and live purely with your husband. Be in a right relationship with him. And everyone speculates what he wrote in the sand. But my speculation is this. Probably not true, but it's my speculation. I think he knew every single person that was standing there and their sin, and he wrote Lou Wider and started writing my sins out. I'm out of here. I don't want them to know what I did. That's just a speculation. But it would work. <laughs> Is adultery forgivable? Yes, if we confess our sin, he will then forgive us. We've already read this, 1 John 1, 8, 9. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, he's faithful just to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. Forgive us of all of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. There's only one unpardonable sin and it's not adultery. It's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Mark 3, 28, 29. Would someone read that for me? Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. 
and that's been debated and what that really means, etc. In my mind, it's, it's, it's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is when you claim that the, what the Holy Spirit is doing is actually evil and it's unbelief and just a rejection of the Holy Spirit's work. Uh, but that's that could be debated, uh, etc. But that it's not adultery, clearly. However, no should, sin should be taken lightly. Romans 6, 1 to 4. Someone read that for me. put a seal up there, I would. Think on these things. Contemplate this. Shall we go on sinning so that may, that grace may increase by no means? We, are you a follower of Jesus in here? Have you accepted Christ as your Savior? Are you born again? Say amen. amen. So we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it anymore? How can we live in it any longer? We've already died to it. That's the beauty of this relationship with God. Jesus has already paid for it on the cross. How can we live any longer in this sin? How do we prevent adultery from occurring? Well, first of all, temptation is not a sin. Um, God has given us the ability to say no. We can be and we will be tempted. Okay? What you want to do is avoid temptation as much as possible. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. But it's got to be a part of your choice. You've got to choose to do this. So you can be tempted and you're alone at home. So then what do you do? Get out. Get out of that situation. Change your environment. Do something else. It's not just get out your Bible. That can help. But that, that you need to maybe get away from that environment where you're at. So you get in the car and you run up to Kroger or whatever. And you walk around for five minutes and then you're going, okay, I'm good now. Whatever the case may be. First Peter, Second Peter 1, 3 says his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So we cannot say what? Based on this, if you understand the passage, explain to me, what does that mean then? Through the power of God, we can escape. What can't we say? Pardon? I couldn't help it. I didn't have a choice. I just don't know enough about the Bible to, to be holy. Sure you do. Okay? We have to deny that in our flesh. That was biblical. 
we must commit our eyes to the Lord. Tish has already said this, Job 31.1. I made a covenant, okay, this eternal arrangement, agreement, lifelong agreement with my eyes, not to look lustily at a, a young woman. So Job understood this principle. I'm choosing to do this. Men and ladies here, young people that are here, you've got to make a choice now. Not when you get older. You've got to make a holy choice now. I choose to be holy with my eyes. I will not. So I have, I'm over at a friend's house. And they go, hey, you want to see? No. But I could lose them as a friend. So that's not the kind of friend you want. You get on your phone, you call mom and dad and go, can you pick me up? But they're going to pick on me. Think about it. You will have the character that they desire to have. They will respect you greater down the road than, they, than you think they do right now. They disrespect you right now. They will have a high regard for you when you do the right thing. Not in the moment, though. They will laugh. They'll pick on you. They'll say certain things about you. you got to stand up and be yourself. Be holy. You can do it. Don't buy into this culture. You don't have to do that. Whether you are 10 in here or 90 in here. I don't think there's anybody 90 in here. But, you know, whatever. We must commit our body to the Lord. Adultery is not a sin to fight against. It's a sin from which to run. Okay? You're not going to take a stand against adultery. Run from it. And it can happen in any environment. At work, someone does something, and it could be just the brush of a hand over yours. It doesn't matter what it is. Uh, COVID. You know, use any excuse you can. Okay? 1 Corinthians 6, 18, 20. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins the person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? You have received whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And that's, that's what God has called us to. And recognize our own areas of temptation. We must tell ourselves the truth, admit our temptations, and be accountable. And I wrap this up. Okay? Watch and pray so that you know will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Okay? So you recognize your own temptation. Be accountable in those areas. It's not, you're not a bad person if you have temptations. Okay? There's no sin that's not common to man. That temptation is common to man. Everybody has them. You're not a freak. You're not weird. Uh, I like girls. Good. I like boys. Good. I, I, I've got struggles in this area. So does a lot of other people. You're not alone in this issue. So get accountable. Get the help you need. And understand that you're weak. We all are. Okay? And focus on being like Jesus. First John 2, 6 is whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did or walk is another translation as Jesus did clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh when you walk out each day clothe yourself like you do your own clothes but wrap yourself with God put on God and walk out as his representative to our world. Choose to be righteous. Someone read Romans 6.13.
We were dead. Now you're alive. You're alive. Imagine being on death's door and dying and being alive. Woo! I'm glad to be here. We've already done that. Been there, done that. We were dead and now we're alive. But we're alive for Christ. So enjoy the blessings of God by your daily choices of holiness. And together, we encourage one another. We admonish one another towards holiness. We meet together to encourage one another. We get together with men's groups. We get together with women's groups. We admonish one another and encourage one another to holiness so that we can not get weary in well-doing. And so we don't give up trying to raise our kids right. We just get, oh, I can't do anything about them. I can't. No, we can all grow all this together. Let's work together towards holiness in everything that we do. Because the bottom line is we're all going to stand before the Lord one day and we are going to give an account. And we want to give it an account that is God-honoring and not shaming. All right? Let's pray together. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, I pray your blessing upon everyone here today. Thank you for each one who's taken time out of their busy schedule and the fears of COVID-19 and the pandemic and everything else. They took the time to be here today. Thank you for that. And God, I pray your blessing and protection over them. I pray for all those that have special needs in this class. Lord, you know them intimately, whether they are real, whether they are perceived, whether they are uh, devastating, whether they are minute. Everything about them you are aware of. You're not taken aback by anything. You're not shocked and wringing your hands. You know how to deal with every situation. Help us now to trust you through it. Help us to walk with you and, and walk with you in holiness. In Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. I love you all. Have a great week. Take care. Be safe and be holy.